right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And yeah, Nick is sad. Things are sad. KU lost to Kansas State again in Manhattan. Thought about they lost again on the road. Thought about going and jumping off the Oread, but you know what? I, I decided I needed to be here to talk about this. Well, I mean, I only have uh, four more shows remaining, so I'm glad I that I don't have to, to do it alone. Uh, yeah. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery today, and on today's show, we'll be recapping Kansas-Kansas State. I don't know, should we just further recap Houston game and act like this didn't happen? <laughs> Would that be more enjoyable? Would that be more fun? Uh, we're going to be, be talking with Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports coming up at 340. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports at 440. We'll get some KU player audio, too, on today's show. 75-70, to 70, the final score, Kansas State beats Kansas in overtime. Second straight year they've won in Manhattan. Second straight year they've won in overtime in Manhattan. Oh, and yeah. KU yeah. sucks on the road. 1-4 and yeah. four now on the road in Big 12 play, 2-4 and four on the road overall. Yeah, it, it's it's tough. Uh, and, the, you know, I almost wonder if, and I, I don't know, you know, in college basketball, for a lot of top teams at least, certainly for Kansas included, in the non-con, you either you play a big feast week tournament normally, which is a neutral site, and then like for KU you play the Champions Classic, and then that's pretty much it, right? KU played one, they played what one true road game in non-conference play against Indiana? Was that it? They played another one. Yes, one true one. The, yeah, the rest were neutral or at home. Exactly. So, do you need to start playing more true road games early in the season so you don't suck? I mean, I don't think play? that's because think about it. They've had other years where they have only played one true non-conference road game in the non-con, and then they go five and four, six and three in Big Twelve play. Yeah, that, I don't that's know, what man. I think is so frustrating though, because typically, what do you equate with being a good road team? Veteran play, right? What is Kansas? All have. sorts of veterans. Hunter they've Dickinson's got, in year four. Kevin McCullers yeah. in year five and a half. They've Dwight got Harris two national five. champions in their starting lineup. They've Jones got in year three. Hunter Dickinson. They've got Kevin McCuller. I bet you have two sixth-year players. Yes. Now, obviously, I mean, I mean, you take Nick Timberlake with a grain of salt. Sure. Man, coming from same with Parker Brown, coming but from the yeah, Colonial. <laughs> but yeah, it's no. like that. That was so disrespectful to the Colonial. Have you Dude. lost all respect for the Colonial yes. because of Nick Timberlake? Yes, <laughs> a thousand percent. Okay. Yes, dude. Dude, are you? Ser- I'm supposed to take Elon seriously now? I'm supposed to take Maryland Eastern Shore seriously are they now? In the Colonial? I don't know. Like Elon this. is. I, like I know Elon is. Okay. In Maryland Eastern Shore, I'm not sure. UMBC. No, New MB- no UMBC's not in the like- Colonial. They're in like the. Are they in the MAC? Uh, are they in the MIAC? There's the MIAC. There's, there's the MIAC. The, there's the MAC. I thought UMBC was the American East. This is the Patriot League. Are they in the Patriot League? <laughs> I should just quiz you on random schools. What conference are they in? Anyway. Elon, I am. I know for a fact Elon is in the Colonial. I'm going to laugh so hard if they're not. No, the I know they're in the Colonial. They're going to be in like the <laughs> MIAC or something. Like, or the MAC. No, no the MAC. Yeah. yeah. The MAC is my favorite conference. <laughs> no, Elon is in the Colonial, I'm sure. I'm positive. Okay. 
Now, if, I don't think Maryland Eastern Shores. In would Kansas win at Elon? Would Kansas win on the road against the CAA team? They're yes. also, uh, I think they're one and five against the spread think, on the uh, road because the Indiana game they didn't cover. Yeah, one game they played well on the road was yeah, Oklahoma it's like State. Elon Hofstra is in the Colonial. I'm pretty sure. Uh, let's see. Elon, Elon is in Hofstra. the Colonial. Yes. Okay, so there we correct. go. Hofstra, uh, UNC Wilmington, right? They're in there. Drexel, UNC Wilmington, yep. Charleston, Houston, Delaware, Hofstra, Monmouth. Wait Stonebrook, a minute. That's kind of a stacked conference. Campbell, Compton. North Carolina, A&T, Northeastern. Wait Elon, a minute. William & Mary. That's kind, of a, that's kind of a stacked conference. Oh, okay. I don't know. I mean, those are teams that have all done far. stuff in the NCAA tournament. But yeah, man, uh, just just tough. Anyway, I, I don't yeah, know why major, this team can't win on the road. Major and, side check yeah. to start the show here. Uh, yeah, no, it's... Now it's, it's six and four. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, it was not fun. It was, it was three hours of hell. Uh, unfortunately, it was three hours because the game had to go to overtime, of course, and of course it's you know an eight ten tip off or whatever, so that sucked. Uh, yeah, no, it was just not a, it was just not fun. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was. I was literally in a torture chamber for three hours. It was not enjoyable. Ku plays pretty badly for like forty three minutes, and the two minutes that they played well, they immediately threw it away to start the second half. Right, you start the second half with a nine zero run, you're up forty one to thirty. You're like, okay, nice. You can just coast. Hopefully, take care of business. <clears throat> Wrong. Here comes an 11-0 run from K-State. And, and literally, you start the second half on a 9-0 run. You're up 41-30. to 30. Life's good. Mm-hmm. And in like 90 seconds, you throw it all away. They go they go on an 11-0 run. I think Tyler Perry hit two threes in that stretch or something. And all of a sudden, it's 41-41. Cam Carter hits an and one and makes the free throw to tie it. And you're like, well, well crap, man. You know, I, I knew this game was going to be sweaty, though, obviously. And this is just, you know... This is just college basketball for you, man. K State, they didn't look very good. They've they've been really bad. They're oh in the last they lost four straight. Here comes big bad Kansas off of a big win against Houston, and then womp womp lose. But I could I I should have seen that coming. And then honestly, you know the other part of it is K State shoots or KU shoots seventy percent uh, from the floor against Houston. You knew obviously there was going to be a pretty significant regression. You didn't expect it to be that bad though. I mean, you had KJ Adams missing one foot layups. Hunter Dickinson had multiple shots that go in and out. Uh, Kevin McCuller couldn't hit anything. Furphy goes 0 4 from three. Like you, like I, I obviously I anticipated that KU was not going to shoot 70 percent again, but I didn't anticipate that level of just a kind of sloppy execution in a lot of situations, and B just sort of the the unluckiness that they had a couple times as well on shots, which was which was very frustrating. So. And I think it, this game could be it could be easy. It could be easy for for KU fans to to fall into the idea of, well, you played Houston and it was a quick turnaround on Big Monday on the road. Like, okay, tough, right? Like, you know, you could easily kind of no, fall into that. No, it all as an continues excuse. to go back to the West Virginia and UCF losses. You I know. win at least one of those two, if not both. You're fine. Nobody You're cares. again looking at this one in the same way you would have looked at the at Iowa State one and been like, yeah, tough place to play, yada yada yada, right? Yeah, but you, the, you've but, lost your margin for error when you lost those games that early in the year. Yeah, but the reason that I have an issue with making that claim of well, you know, short rest, big game against Houston on Saturday is K State. They played on Saturday too. They were on the road against Oklahoma State and they lost, and they come back. So they're playing on the same legs that you're playing on, on the same rest that you're playing on. Yeah, it's on their home floor, sure. But guess what? A couple of their, you know, and you're thinking, oh, well, you know, K is a short bench. Some of those guys played 43 minutes. You know, Kevin, Dewan, and, and KJ played 43 minutes. Guess what? Tyler Perry and Cam Carter for K-State. Well, Tyler Perry played 45. Cam Carter played 40, like 44, 30. And guess what? In late in the game in overtime, 
those guys, they just kind of looked like they had a little left in the tank still, and it looked like KU maybe didn't. And that's tough to say. That's tough to recognize. But that's that's the truth of the matter. I mean, they made they made they were able to make some plays, Tyler Perry especially, uh, late in the game. And so, you know, typically in other in other games, you're gonna look at KU and say, well, you know, can you really expect KU to keep it going for 40 minutes with if they're if they're not getting anything from the bench? And you're asking these guys to play 38 in this case, you know, over 40 minutes with overtime and whatnot. Again, K State had a couple guys that did the same thing, and and it looked like they they had a little bit left. They had they still had something left late in the game, and that stinks. So there's a, there's a lot to touch on there. I, to quickly touch on on the maybe tired legs and, and think at the end, like that is clearly where the depth, uh, I guess, kind of matters. The lack of depth matters, and over a regular season, it becomes more important. Now it is a little interesting to point out that okay, how many games were there between Saturday's and Monday's game? One game one day off, but two days between the game, right? How many games or how many days off do you have between your first and second round NCAA tournament game? It's the same turnaround. So that yeah. is a little bit scary. Now, then again, maybe Obviously, it is a little bit if different. if you're at KU, you're going to play hopefully a 15th Of course, or a 14th and you hope that the starters I mean, don't have to play as much in that first game. Yeah, and also it doesn't go overtime. Um, with the longer TV timeouts, it is a little bit different there. But, uh, that, you know, for someone like me who has been kind of touting this whole time that I think this team will be a better tournament team than a regular season but, team because of the lack yeah, of depth. Basically my, that is important to point out still. Yeah, basically my point is is that you can't poo-poo away a performance like this from KU because of the fact that, well, they were playing on short rest because, again, right. the team across from you was playing on the exact same rest. And they, you know, and obviously they had to travel back from Oklahoma State where you, you had to go an hour west to Manhattan for your travel, you know. And I, I, know, I know the game was at home, and obviously home games can give you more energy, but, but yeah, I just, I'm not... I'm not willing to accept that that thought process as a reason why KU maybe lost this game is because the other, the team across from you was dealing with a lot of the same things you were dealing with. Yeah. Now, uh, it, it's just night and day, the performance of, of the offense in the Houston game to this one. It, it was just everything. But he, here's what gets me. Because when you're talking about having to win on the road, there are a couple things that come to mind. It's... A veteran player, it is a key player who's able to make big plays down the stretch for you or in key moments. And unfortunately for Kansas, that hasn't happened in their road game so far this year. Like, you think of the UCF game, they were stalling the entire second half of that game. They didn't have anybody who got them out of their their slump, right? Like, um, you think to this one and... Kevin, who is typically that guy or maybe supposed to be that guy, misses the free throws and, and is unable to be kind of counted on in those moments. So that's one thing. But the other part of winning on the road with Bill Self is typically, and these are actually some of Bill Self's favorite games, are when they have to gut them out, when they have yeah. to grind them out in games that they don't play super well. In a lot of ways, if Kansas wins that game against Kansas State, this would have been one of his favorite wins yeah, of the it's season. One of your better wins. Right? Because yeah. the Houston game, he would have been like, Yeah, we just made shots. And this one, he would be like, Yeah, we didn't make shots. We had a lot that rimmed out. We had some things that went against us. And we found a and, way to win because that is the sign of a champion, right? And typically a trademark of Bill Self Coach teams is is that ability to yes. dig a little bit deeper than your opponent. Just a little bit deeper than your opponent to pull out games like this. And it just, you know, for one for whatever reason, one way one one way or another, it just didn't happen for him. Uh, against K State, which is which is really unfortunate. Uh, but that's so, the thing; it's, it's it's not happening in any of the road games, and and that becomes the question to me: like, are we at a crossroads where this is just what this team is? Like, they can't get to that point, or are we at a crossroads where 
you know, the, there's just been some crap luck maybe going against them and that they can still figure out, like, Bill Self is such a good coach that if yeah. he continues to hammer on it, eventually he's going to do it. And, like, I think back, like, you know, uh, maybe there was no better team at doing it than that 2011 to 2012 team, right? Because that team um, did not have a, a long bench just like this one did, right? I mean, that team had... Well, you got Connor Tehan, former walk-on. You got Justin Wesley, who's like a walk-on transfer from Lamar, like coming off the bench. Like that team was not deep either. And this team probably has more offensive talent than that team had. Now that team has more defensive ability because they had Jeff Withy on the inside, and that's certainly going to change things for a defense. But that team was able to grind their way out. I mean, you look at you look at that team's NCAA tournament run. They're down a majority of the game to Purdue. They find a way to grit it out at the end. I think they hit zero threes or something like that in, in the NC State game, right? And they win that game in the Sweet 16. You grit out a win against Ohio State in the Final Four. Like, that team found a way to grit out wins. And that is the the sign of a Bill Self team. They find ways to grit out wins. They find ways to grit out wins on the road. And right now, this team is not doing it, and that is a little bit scary to me. But then again, you can go back to it and say, well, Bill Self is such a good coach, he'll eventually get it there, and... If he does get this team to do that, in addition to what they already are, then all of a sudden you do become a very interesting team. And I, th- I think something that's interesting is even though in this stretch, like I went back and looked at, at the Bartorvik numbers since Johnny Furphy's been a starter because they're only five and three, right? They've had those three losses. Five and three is not a great record. Uh, Big 12, it, it becomes a better record, but still, it's not a great record. Since Johnny Furphy's been in the starting lineup, even after the K State loss last night, they're top five in offense, they're top 30 in defense, and they're number five overall in the country since January 13th. So does that tell us that maybe there is a reversion coming, that maybe some things are going to happen, or is this just not in the cards this year to, to win that way and they have to find other ways to win that Bill Self is not accustomed to? Yeah, it's it's a really tough conversation because obviously you knew K-State was going to be coming in with their backs against the wall. We talked about it, right? Like K-State loses that game last night, and they're definitely not making the NCAA tournament. And even with beating KU, they're probably still on the outside looking in for the time being. But that was really their season. Obviously, every year it's their Super Bowl. It's their biggest game of the season. The only game that it's the only game they care about when they you know for when they sell out Bramblage and everything, so yeah you knew it was going to be tough going in but but yeah I mean to see some of KU's stars sort of kind of fade a little bit late in the game was was tough I mean you know Kevin McCuller is a guy that I kind of touted as as that go to guy for Candace and I think I, I think I think I would still say he is but but man to have kind of a, a bit of a meltdown that he had late in this game a couple bad turnovers. Wasn't hitting free throws. Wasn't hitting shots. Like that's a big issue. And and you know if you're gonna win games where you grind it out, where kind of like you alluded to the ugly games where you're not making shots, the type of games that Bill Self likes to win, you need a guy that you can go to reliably late in a game to make tough shots. And KU does not have that from the perimeter. You, I mean, you can you can you trust Hunter Dickinson, right? If, if Hunter Dickinson gets the ball on the block one on one, you feel like he's scoring. Well, that's the time. It's easy but to with thirty seconds left eliminate to that. the post, right? Yes, it's easy yeah. to take that away. And Kevin seemed like the type of guy that from the perimeter was going to be that player. And and I praised him quite a bit because earlier in the season he was that guy. But and I and I'm not I'm not saying I expect him to hit every clutch shot, but I certainly didn't expect him to kind of. Uh, implode the way that he did individually late in this game with a couple of the turnovers, the play where he stepped out of bounds, which uh, I don't know if he stepped out of bounds or not. It was close. Uh, I was kind of annoyed that they they the rest went to the went to the review model and they were like, "Yep, confirmed." I was like, <laughs> "Dude, I I got to see like two angles. Like, what can we can we chill for a second? Because it looked pretty close to me." Uh, but anyways, 
that's neither here nor there. And then you know he has the play where he loses it, and Kaluma picks it up. The missed the missed free throws, obviously. So that was tough to see because t- to your point, late in the game, if unless you're Zach Eady, basically, you can take away teams can quickly take away Hunter Dickinson for a last second shot or, or for a late game shot. You know, if there's 20 seconds, 15 seconds, whatever. And Johnny Furphy is obviously just 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 a true freshman. I don't think you can put that weight on him to be that clutch player. It really needs to be Kevin because KJ is not is not really a threat from the perimeter, and Dewan is is that's not really his his how, who he is either. And Furphy's a freshman, exactly. Who, yeah. He doesn't really create much off the ball yet. Yeah, or exactly. Off the ball yet? Sorry. So it really needs to come from Kevin, and I guess that's my concern. That that you know, again. It's one game, so maybe this is a game where Kevin flushes it and he ends up continuing to to be that clutch guy because he's there's I don't think there's anybody else that's really going to be that answer. So I think it has to be him uh, down the stretch. Which you know, again, let's say you're in an NCAA tournament game in the second weekend and it's a you know you're either down by a possession or you need a you you absolutely have to have a bucket and you can't get it to Hunter Dickinson. Can Kevin step up? And this is the first time this season where we've seen that really not be the case where he wasn't able to do it uh, in multiple situations, right? And that's really what's most frustrating is like, you know, KU didn't deserve to win that game, I don't think, with the way they played. But it's not like K-State was playing great either, really, right? They were giving them opportunity. They were, both teams were giving each other opportunities. Yeah, like Tyler Perry played great in probably the final like 15 minutes of the game, but you're right. I mean, it was... Well, I don't think Tyler Perry scored until like two minutes left in the first half. Yeah, I mean, for for most of the game, even even a lot of the possessions K-State was scoring, it was like air ball, oh, they got the offensive rebound and got the putback. Or like, oh, they hit this tough shot, or okay, you made a mistake and went under a screen on Cam Carter or Tyler Perry, or um, you know, Tyler Perry makes some magic happen, or Oh, they they dribble the ball around and then the ball gets deflected, or they nearly throw the ball away, then they save it and go down and score. It, it, it was kind of a clunky way of going about it, but they found a way to to get it done, and that's typically how KU wins road games, right? Yeah, they find the way to get it done even when they're not ugly, and that hasn't happened exactly so far this season. Now, I mean, the I, best I will part say, of, the best part of winning ugly is winning. Right. The worst part of losing ugly is the <laughs> ugly part. Yeah. But I, I do think uh, there were some other takeaways I had. I mean, I thought this was Dewan Harris's best game in Big 12 play. Yeah. I, I thought for my money he was KU's best player on the court last night. 15 points, like eight assists, low turnover numbers. I thought he was really good on the defensive end. Uh, he missed his first, like, two or three shots, and then from then on he, he really kind of got it going. So that's a positive as, as you continue to look to that moving forward. Um, I do think we need to pump the brakes on the Johnny Furphy 2024 NBA draft. And I know it's just one game compared to the bigger sample size of what he's done done over the last, whatever, four, five, six games. But I was kind of waiting for something like this to happen, the other shooter drop, because he's a freshman. Like, this even happened to Grady Dick. Grady Dick had games where he had single-digit points, and he was taken out of the game. It happens to freshmen. Like, there's still things that he needs to work on. (laughs) Grady Dick ended up still being a lottery pick. He did, but (laughs) it's it's just different for me. No, I get it. Well, and and listen, I think there there are players... Especially freshman players, where you watch and you just you, you you get the sense that, man, in a year in this program, they are going to be special. You get that sense from Johnny Furphy, right? You get that sense that now the problem is is that a lot of in a lot of situations when you have players like that with the potential, because the NBA drafts so much off potential, a lot of those guys still end up going to the NBA, uh, you know, for whatever reason, right? But you look at Johnny Furphy, and that's the sense you get, right? It's man, this dude. In an offseason, mm-hmm. in a whole year in this program, could be really, really good. Yeah. Uh, other takeaway, I mean, the bench, they had to play more this game because you had guys in foul trouble. 
and they still kind of throw up a big nothing burger for you. Uh, I We got this text from uh, Talina, who works here, and she said the team that boxed out Houston stayed in Lawrence. The one that played K-State got boxed out. <laughs> and, and I think that's a good point. I don't know what it is, but when you look at because playing down to competition, playing up to competition has very much been a thing for this Kansas team. And when I look at specifically what trait has been most – flowing up and down with that it has been the rebounding which i don't know yeah. if, i mean rebounding a big part of it is an effort thing it's a physicality thing so i i don't know what kind of goes into that um a friend brian rainey on twitter yeah also i can handle forced in. turnovers but the unforced turnovers with this team are driving me absolutely batty i agree with that that yeah. said this game they had seven more turnovers than you there still were some where it was like unforced. But again, this goes back to and honestly like the the missed layup by kevin at the end of the first half that's basically like a turnover well, and this goes back to not all turnovers are created equal sure right Late in the game, when you step out of bounds, whether you stepped out of bounds or not, you know that's the call that ended up happening. That is that's a that's a brutal turnover, right? Uh, same with the one where he's got the ball again on the left wing and, and and loses it, and Kluma gets it. So those are those are not created equal. So yeah, it is tough. It is tough, right? And because those are just execution things, right? And that's that circles back to you lost in Manhattan because you couldn't execute down the yeah. stretch, right? Yeah. And I guess bottom line for me, like it, it just sucks to keep losing to K State, and that's happening here. I think you got swept in baseball last year in Lawrence. Uh, you lose obviously in football and gut wrenching way. You lose in Manhattan last year. You lose in Manhattan this year. And, and I know this gets okay. used a lot. By, I'm still like seventeen and five I'm, or whatever. I'm in just the last saying recently. Games. I'm just saying recently. I understand there, and there are KU fans who will sit here and, and even you know what I I going to the KU K State football game this past year. I'm not even joking. There were two K State fans who were walking into the game who were chanting Super Bowl, right? <laughs> so like it, yeah, they play into it as well. But that that does get used by KU fans to kind of poke fun and be like, ah, what do you really have to play for? Like you don't have any championships, all this stuff. That this is your Super Bowl. This is what you care about the most. Okay, that's all fair and well. But guess what? If them caring more about the game is leading them winning more of these games, I know which side I'd rather be on. No, it is annoying because Cornball Tang is 2-1 and one against Bill Self. That sucks. Yeah, and so KU's not doing things that Big 12 title winners do. They're not showing consistent play. They're not gritting out wins. They're not getting road wins. And yet I say all this, and it feels like such a big negative, and still they're only one back in the loss column for the Big 12. And they can still beat Baylor on Saturday, yeah. who's a good team. So maybe the and sky is right back into it. Totally falling. No, it's not. But so I, I don't really know what to think anymore. Like I, I continue to believe that this team is better built for the tournament than the Big Twelve, and maybe that'll end up coming to fruition. But yeah. yet at the same point in time, should we not learn from the team who's playing on Sunday? The Kansas City Chiefs had like their <laughs> worst regular season in five, six years. Now they're in the Super Bowl. KU basketball is having their worst regular season in I don't know at least I guess like three years here start maybe, the conference maybe play, five right? six years, I mean right? I mean conference play sure when they started four and three that that was sure. tied for Bill Self's worst start in conference play yeah and uh, now what what they're five uh, six and four, and four six and four and I think that's probably uh, just as bad as as anything they've had but guess what Kansas City Chiefs found a way to to turn the switch in a year where the rest of the NFL was or at least the rest of the AFC was relatively down, right? Joe Burrow injured. Uh, the Bills weren't as good this year until that late push. All this sort of stuff. Well, guess what? That's college basketball this year, too. That's college basketball this year, too. Everybody's losing on the road. Everybody's losing on the road to unranked teams. So um, it is it, it is a big negative to lose the game, but it's still not the ultimate panic button or the sky has completely fallen. Yeah, and I, I think the writing may be on the wall here a little bit in the sense of, if KU does come up a game short, maybe in the Big Twelve title race, you're going to be looking back at those games that you talked about, the UCF West Virginia games, right, as kind of the ones where maybe things slipped away. Because yeah. because I think I think starting conference play 
if you would have said, if you would have said, hey, listen, KU's gonna KU's gonna dominate Houston and win at home, and then they're gonna go and lose a close game against Kansas State on the road and go one and one in that stretch, I think I think you'd probably be sort of fine with that outcome, really, at the start of conference play. Mm-hmm. But because of the fact that you've already dropped a couple road games like we talked about, that it hurts a little bit more, obviously. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Matt Tate joins us in about 10 minutes from right now on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined by Matt Tate. This will be uh, the final time that I get to talk to Matt as a host of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Matt, thanks for coming on today. You can check out all his work at r1s1sports.com. Kind of a bumpy, wild ride over the past three days. Kansas beats Houston, one of the best teams in the country, and then loses on the road to Kansas State last night as they continue with their road struggles. What is your evaluation of this team? How are you properly trying to take into inventory everything that has happened and, and where things are at with this team as, as far as it goes uh, uh, when you're figuring out how good of a team this is and, and what they can accomplish? Yeah, good question. And, and before I answer it, I, I, maybe they didn't tell you, but this is actually the last time you ever get to talk to me. Like, oh, that should have been part of your exit wow. interview or whatever. They, they didn't tell you that? <laughs> no, they didn't. Well, uh, okay. I, I might have Maybe some uh, other questions know, at the end of this. had to think a little harder about your future if, that, if you knew that. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, best of luck, man. <laughs> we'll you. get that out of the way now. And, and uh, it's, it's been awesome being with you and, and coming on with you for years and years and years now. So best of luck. And, and thanks for, for all you've done for Lawrence and for me and, and everything. So, um, Getting back to your, your question, though, uh, you know, I'm starting to look at this team at, in a very simple manner. Um, instead of trying to figure out their ceiling or how good they are or how good they can be or how bad they might be, um, I, I'm just kind of taking it at face value and saying this is who they are. Um, you, you know, if they show up with energy and, and motivated and you know, really locked in and execute and, and play well, they can beat anybody. And, and, you know, that will continue into March. Um, if that's not the case, then things can get pretty dicey and, uh, they could, they could lose to anybody. Now, you know, I think the, uh, you know, and, and self said that himself, that's not, that's not, you know, anything groundbreaking or any revelation or anything like that. But, but I think as people continue to watch this happen, they, they do try to figure out, you know, What's going on? What can we fix? What can they do? And, and I, I, I just am starting to get to the point where I, I really don't know if they can do much. I mean, are they going to keep trying? You bet. Are they, are they going to try uh, to, to tinker with this, that, and the other? Are they going to attack it? Yeah, they are. But um, I, I just, you know, they kind of are who they are. They have the players they have. There's only so much you can squeeze out of them. And, and if they happen to all be locked in and, and you know, on the same step and, and same page, on any given night, they can be really, really, really good. Um, if they're not, then yeah, it looks a little ugly. And and I think that when you know when you look at these these losses, and you look at K State and UCF specifically, you know those are really good teams and uh, that, that had really good energy, I should say. And and their fan base and their home crowd was fired up. And and so. Kansas is going to get that, and they've been used to getting that, but they're not going to get that everywhere. They're not going to get that every night. They're not going to get that in the, in the tournament. you know. So I don't know that it's time to panic or anything like that. I think it's just the reality is starting to set in that, that these guys have some really good players, 
They don't have a lot of depth, and it's going to go as far as that takes them, and and that can be vulnerable any given night. Yeah, and something that that I kind of mentioned in the open that I, I think is interesting when you look at those road games, and, and I'm glad you mentioned the word energy there. I feel like in the games where they have played the better teams, like the rebounding has been there. Not that they've won the rebounding battle, but even in games where they've played good rebounding teams, they've at least matched that, right? I mean, like they actually had a, a good rebounding game against Houston when you consider that they're one of the best offensive rebound teams in the country. And like some of those games, they've been able to match that energy. And then you look at some of these road games where they have struggled. You know, Kansas State has not been a good defensive rebounding team. They, they were coming in a good offensive rebounding team. But, you know, you lose that rebounding battle by, by nine or ten rebounds or whatever it was. And I can't help but think that energy for a team that doesn't have a very big bench and doesn't have the ability to bring off that energy off the bench to, to kind of spark someone or give you that added, I don't know, motivation or, or just jolt of, of whatever it is. Or, or I don't know, maybe it is a mental thing that you need to figure out how to kind of match opponents who the games aren't as exciting, whatever it is. Like, to me, that that might be one reason they're struggling on the road. I, I think another reason would be that uh, in a lot of other years where, where Bill Self wins a lot of these road games, they have this just innate ability to grind out games and make key plays at the end of games, whether that's a player hitting clutch shots, which maybe they don't have that like player who can win in ISO, but... I, I think back to like the 2012 team, for instance, you know, a one that that didn't have a deep bench either, just like this one did, but they grinded right. out games as good as any team in the country and uh, different personnel, that team, better defensive pieces with like Jeff Withy, this one, probably better offensive pieces in, in what they kind of have out there. But like, I, I just feel like they haven't been able to do some of those things and, and grind out games in some way. And I don't know if to your point, like if this is just who they are and, and they have to lean into winning kind of a different way, but like, is there a reason why, in your mind, that, that they have struggled so much on the road? Yeah, I, you know, I was just about to dive into that and, and look at the four Big 12 road losses um, and, and just see if anything, any, you know, similarities jump out at me. Um, I, I'm, you know, I, I would imagine most fans would probably say, well, team shot lights out. And, you know, I, I don't know. I Maybe that'll be there when I when I look a little closer. I don't really remember off the top of my head, but I'm not going to buy that either. I mean, K-State was 9 of 26 from three-point range last night. Like, they were 9 of 24 at Oklahoma State on Saturday, and they lost that game. Like, it's not like they shot out of their minds because they made 9. They just made 9 against Oklahoma State and lost. So, you know, I'm not going to let that one connect that dot. Um, so I, I am eager to see if, if any – Themes or, or commonalities kind of present themselves in, in looking at the at the box scores and and you know more than anything I think it's it's kind of what we talked about a minute ago it's just those are tough tough environments and self said that last night right like anybody that would have come into that place last night with that crowd and that energy um, would have had a hard time winning now the difference is and he knows this better than any of us but the difference is no one else would have got that energy last night. You know, K-State fans don't get up like that for every team. Um, UCF fans, that was the second sellout in the history of the basketball program there. You know, they don't get up for, for Oklahoma coming to town. They, they got up for Kansas. And so that's something that, that these guys all know, and most of them have dealt with. You know, even Hunter Dickinson tasted that a little bit, you know, at Michigan and, and throughout his college career. So, you know, that, that one I don't really think – it can be the it can be the answer, but I don't think it's a good excuse. It's like 
many, many Kansas teams before this and many after this have had to deal with that, and others have. This one, I think you said it, man. You just, I think you just lean into who these guys are. And, and, and with regard to your energy um, conversation there, like, you know, I, I've all but given up on, on trying to figure out what can they do to get the bench going. Like, I, I think if, if I'm the head coach, um, and, and this seems to be what he's doing too, like, if I'm the head coach, I, I don't worry about that. I, I try to figure out ways to rest these guys my horses, my starters, um, on non-game days. You know, he already said on Saturday that, that with these Monday-Saturday turnarounds or Saturday-Monday turnarounds, um, it probably means Tuesday-Wednesday off for those guys the rest of the way, and, and that's what you got to do. So find a way to rest them, keep them fresh, don't tax them during the week, and trust that they'll show up and play, um, you know, when, when the lights go on and the, and the ball goes up. And, and they will. I mean, these guys are all – very talented, and they have a lot of pride. Um, I, I do think, you know, not being able to grind it out is is, is partly personnel. Um, I mean, man, Kevin McCullough can't – you just can't step out of bounds, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're that dude, and he believes he is, and, and at a lot of points in the last two seasons has shown he can be, but also has shown moments like that where maybe not quite. And, you know, I'm not trying to dog the guy or knock him or anything, but, like, you just can't have that. You, you just can't have that. And, and look, it happened to Jalen Wilson there last year, right? I mean, he fell asleep for a hot second, and, and, and they threw the lob, and he got dunked on, and that was game over. And, and so, you know, it's happened to good players. But um, when, when, when your margin for error is so thin and, and you don't have much support behind your top guys, like, boy, you just can't live with too many mistakes from those guys. And, and I'll say one thing they're doing really well right now is taking care of the basketball. I mean, three turnovers against Houston, what was it, nine last night? Like, you know, that, that's, I mean, there's, there are some op, inopportune moments where they're turning it over, and that, that's not great, like that one. <laughs> but um, you go to any hostile environment like that and you only turn it over nine times, you should have a chance to win. And they did. I think that's the other thing, right? Like, they they probably played their C plus game maybe C minus I don't know that wasn't that wasn't the best of Kansas basketball by any means and they still almost won the game so I I, I think at at some point um, that 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 kind of falls in line with the the idea of just accepting where you're at and and you know instead of trying to figure out these quick fixes or magic formulas or anything that that you know you think you can do differently to solve this quote unquote problem. I, I think you just embrace like, here's our squad. And you know, there's, there's not a, a new group of three guys coming in who are going to be good off the bench. This is, this is who we have to run with. And, and um, you know, the, give it your best shot from there and, and, and see what happens. I mean, the, the best part about the bench is, you know, if, if Hunter can play 30, five minutes a game you don't need parker for much and he's more than capable of filling that role so at that point you're looking at you need one more guy and um i don't even think that has to be the same guy and and i think that's what everybody's been looking for right like who's the who's the guard that's going to step up can nick hit some shots no 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 he can't play he's not playing defense canel marco get out there and show, you know, live up to the flashes that we've seen. No, no, he doesn't play defense either. 
So, you know, it, it, it's like it's probably not one of those guys, but can El Marco and Timberlake and, and uh, even Jamari McDowell, can those three guys over the course of the remaining eight games, can they sort of rotate? Can one of them flash one game and then maybe not show anything for three games and then show up again on that fifth game? And, you know, that's all you really need. You just need something from somebody. And, it, and I know consistency is king, and everybody would love it to be consistent, but it's not. I mean, this is 20, what, 23 games into the season, and it's not there yet. You're running out of time. So I think now you just have to – you said it best, man. Lean into who you are, what you do, and, and how you play. And, and if that means your, your bench is like a, hey, if we get something that's a cause for a pizza party and a big surprise and we'll take it, then, then that's what you live with. Well, the next three games for KU, Baylor at home on Saturday, college game day going to be in town, and then it's a two-road game week next week at Texas Tech and at Oklahoma. What do you think a good record for KU would be in that span? What do you think the record they need to, I guess, stay in Big 12 title contention would be? Uh, what do you think would be a good run of play here over the next week and a half? Yeah, they got to go 3-0. and I mean, let's let's be real honest. I mean, like, 2-1 um, and one would probably probably be fine from the sense of, you know, you don't have to panic and, and people aren't freaking out. But, um, but I think, you know, if, if they aspire to be what they think they are, which is a national title contender and, and, and they want those goals to still be within reach, I think they have to go three and oh, and, and that's a, that's a tough, tough ask. Um, I think they'll be fine on Saturday because I think Saturday is going to look a lot like last Saturday did. Um, Baylor's good, maybe not quite as good as Houston, but really good. And they'll be up for it, and the whole building will be up for it, and they'll be coming off of this loss, and it'll still be fresh in their minds, and they'll bring it. Um, so, you know, I, I think that one's, you know, nothing's a given by any means, but I think that's a more likely um, win for Kansas than anything right now. Um, at Texas Tech, crazy. That's the that's the the, uh, the exact same turnaround as they just had. You're going to go into another hostile environment, and you're probably playing a much, much, much better basketball team. I think Texas Tech's probably a lot better than K-State, top to bottom, on, on both sides of the ball. So um, can you exercise the demons there? Can, can, you, can, you, can you get a Saturday-Monday turn right? And you get a great opportunity to do it. And if you do that, then you get a week to rest again and prepare and go down to Oklahoma and see what happens. So, but, but again, I mean, even that one's not – not going to be easy by any means. None of their remaining road games or any of their games remaining probably are, are going to be easy. So um, law of averages makes me think, you know, it might be coming. They, they're too talented and Bill Self too good of a coach to finish the season. Like what would it be? One and eight on the road, even two and seven like that. I just, you know, maybe it's because we haven't seen it, but I just can't fathom that. So I don't know that they'll get to four and five or five and four or anything like that either. Um, but gosh, it would be really surprising to me to see them just lay an egg the whole season on the road, as good as this conference is and, and as many sort of, you know, shortcomings as this team has. So I, I think, again, I'm sort of playing law of averages thinking they can go get those two. And if you do that, you know, that takes some of the pressure off of, of at Baylor and at Houston later in the year. So um, big week, man. There's, this is a really big week. And then guess what? The week after that's going to be a really big week too. And, and uh, 
you know, February is a short month and March will be here soon. And it's just, it's crazy how, how far into this thing we are with this team still trying to figure so many things out. But, um, you know, that's, that's part of it. I mean, that's, that's part of the, the current landscape of college basketball. You're, you're, you're bringing new guys together every year at a lot of programs, not just Kansas. And you're trying to put it together in six, seven months and hope it works. And sometimes it's going to, and sometimes it's not. So, um, you know, I, I think people need to just kind of take a breath and, and remember that this is college basketball and not college football. And, you know, all you have to do is be playing your best in March. And you're, whether you're a one seed or a four seed or even a five seed, you're, you're going to have a chance there. And March is all about matchups, and, and Kansas can match up favorably with a lot of teams in the country and and look like if you're a if you're a one seed do you want kansas being your four or five if it comes to that i i don't think so you know so um they're, they're gonna be fine they're gonna have every opportunity and every chance they want it's just how is it gonna look between now and when it really counts and and that, that's what's hard for people i think to, to kind of live through in real time because it's no fun. Last night, I'm sure, was no fun for Kansas fans, um, especially, as you said, on the heels of, of such a beautiful performance on Saturday, looking like maybe the best team in the country. Um, to flip it so quickly and, and, and look, you know, the complete opposite, that's, that's a lot. That is emotional and, and hard to deal with and, and pretty crazy to, to watch. He's Matt Tate. You can check out all his work, r1s1sports.com. Does uh, great work as always. Matt, I appreciate you for uh, coming on today. I appreciate you for being so willing with your time over, over the course of uh, everything that, that I've got a chance to do with you. And uh, thank you for, for being uh, a big part of this show and, and uh, somebody that I can uh, rely on in, in real life beyond the show as well. There you go, man. Thanks for saying that. That's awesome. And, yeah, it's been my pleasure. And, and uh, I'll continue to fill the role with whoever's uh, – whoever's next and uh obviously if you need anything down the road too you know where to find me and and look we're both nuggets fans we're, we're gonna talk there's some right. things we're gonna have to talk about so you know it'll work out i'll when, when the broncos finally get a quarterback again i'll call you it'll be great um you know so your daughter might be like 12 by then but that's okay I, I'll, I'll keep your number and and we'll make it work but yeah man it, it's been it's been fun with you and and uh you've done great work man so congrats to you on a a great run, and, and uh, it's going to be fun to see what's next for you. Right, well, thanks again. That's Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com. Thanks, man, and uh, see you next time. All right. All right, Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com. One hour down, two to go. We are going to talk a little big, uh, big 12. We still have some more KU basketball conversation to get to. Kevin Flaherty will join us in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, this is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind, and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And uh, KU loses to Kansas State. We'll get more KU basketball takeaways coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. We also are going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports at 440 here. 
and we'll talk some more KU and Big 12. It's also uh, Super Bowl week, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit of Chiefs, and we have some player audio from uh, the KUK State postgame last night from Dewan Harris and Hunter Dickinson that we'll also get to in the 5 o'clock hour. We do have Hawk Talk later tonight after the show from 6 to 7 o'clock with Brandon Schneider and the KU women's basketball team who have won two straight games. They are now 12-10 and 10 and looking to keep up that momentum as the season goes on here and, and try to make a last-second push to make it into some postseason play. All right, so a uh, Big 12 breakdown for you here. Obviously, KU on Saturday, the result of that game against Houston, along with some other things that happened, ended up pushing the Big 12 into this ultimate cluster and pack and just chaos. Uh, they've lost a little bit of that ground by losing last night, but the aftermath is that even after KU losing to K-State last night, there's still only one back in the loss column for the rest of the Big 12, and there's some more games happening tonight that you know, could alter who's going to be in first or, or who's all tied in that kind of cluster and group and who's ahead of KU and stuff like that. But uh, Saturday was certainly a wild day around the Big 12 beyond just KU beating Houston. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, most notably the game that stood out was that game between Baylor and Iowa State, right, where you just had – literal pandemonium uh, all the way down to the – I mean, it's, Scott Drew gets ejected. If it's, it's Yeah, which, by the way, can insane. I touch on that real quick? Because With Scott Drew, I yeah. saw all these people, like, getting up in arms about, oh, the Big 12 officials, here they go again, ejecting Scott Drew for leaving the, the coach's box, and you see the video, and he's like – he's like – basically what happened was he almost, like, knelt down past the coach's box. Did you see the video? I did not see this video. His no. toe – is like on the line of the coach's box. And that's what they got mad about. And he basically, the rest of his body, he goes forward and keeps his toe behind him. And they ended up ejecting. Mm, I see. And everybody was like, are you serious? You're going to get all mad about just this? Like, what's the big deal? I'll be honest. Like, I here's here's my my estimation of what probably happened. <laughs> the, co- the, the refs were probably like, hey, Scott Drew, you keep coming past the coach's box. This is your warning. Stop coming past the coach's box. Now, you can have the argument that the refs do not do this consistently and that there are too many coaches out there, like Jerome Tang, like Shaka Smart, like oh, DJ yeah. Otzelberger anybody, at Iowa State. Anybody who seriously watches college basketball or pays attention, coaches never stay in the coach's box, right. man. And they're they, they on the, co- very you know, Jamie Dixon, they're on the sure. court. They're past the coach. They're like, clapping when there's a guy shooting a three right yeah, by him and basically yeah, being a sixth defender. It's right? all, yeah, it's, it's yeah, stupid. Yeah. And, yeah. and that argument, I do understand, and I honestly wish they actually were more strict about it, to be completely honest. But anyway, that is the one thing I can understand. But here's the thing. They probably did tell him, like, this is your last warning. Don't come across the bench. And he probably did the thing where he said, <laughs> okay, fine. And he did the thing where he was like, see, look, I'm here's behind my, the bench. My, my toe, toe is behind the bench. And honestly, if that is what happened, that's basically the equivalent of the guy walking up to you, it's pointing like, his finger in his face and being like, not touching you, yeah. not touching you, yeah. not touching you. Then and it's, it's like... like Okay, you're gone, but Yeah, exactly. You know what's going to happen there. But anyway, so that happens, and then the end of the game, Baylor can't hit a free throw to save their life. Yep. They, they allow well, Iowa so State to tie the game. They, yeah, they come back, obviously, and, right. then, they, and then it gets tied. They hit yeah, an and then, one, yep. miss the free throw again. <laughs> and then uh, they have Iowa State. Momchilovich hits the banked-in, like, 35-foot three at the buzzer. Yep. They're freaking out. They're all celebrating. Yep. But Shades of Oklahoma in the Big 12 tournament with uh, Buddy Heald in that semifinal game against West Virginia. They review it. Doesn't get off about .1 seconds too late, and Baylor ends up winning the game, which honestly for Baylor keeps them seemingly alive in the Big 12 title race. And for Iowa State, I mean, they would have, like, that would have been huge for They would have been, I don't know if control would have been the right word, but they would have been in a very good spot. You you were texting me at the end of the game, and you you sent the text to me that said, 
Iowa State's going to win the Big 12 yes. if they win this game. Because they, they would have wins over Houston, over Kansas, at Baylor. I mean, they'd be a game up right now. Yeah. You look at some of their upcoming games. Yeah. like So, from the Kansas know. perspective, that was probably a good outcome that Baylor probably. ended up winning that game uh, against Iowa State. But, yeah, it was just it was just an uh, <laughs> incredible scene. And <laughs> and then through all that, you know, the viewer has to persevere, persevere through the horrible, horrible camera angle they have there. So makes it worse. It was just, uh, yeah, it was there was a lot to, to deal with for that game. So, uh, but then you look at some of the other games around. You know, Texas they go on the road, they got a big win, right? Uh, you know, with Texas, I mentioned this to start the year. This was really kind of a prove it year for uh, for Gus. I mean, uh, for Gus Fring. I mean, uh, you know, I don't even remember his real name now. Ronnie Terry. <laughs> Ronnie Terry. I keep, I've called him Gus Fring so much I don't even remember what his name is. For Ronnie Terry. You know, this was kind of a prove it year form, right? Kind of touched on it. Last year, Texas undoubtedly had a very talented roster, and maybe they the talent kind of carried them to the Elite Eight, but it kind of forced Texas into a situation where they kind of had to hire him and hire Terry. So that put them in a bad spot. Or I don't I mean not necessarily a bad spot, but it put them in a spot where they made the hire. And so this year was kind of a okay, prove it. Like prove that you weren't just carried by a bunch of talent. And Texas is talented again this year, too. There's no question about that. But obviously they hadn't really gotten the results, and they're a team that right now maybe not even could be in the NCAA tournament. So for them to go on the road and beat TCU was a very significant win for for that program to 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 even stay alive to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean Texas has they they had a slow start. They've really picked it up since then, and I think uh, Dylan Dessou, who he was hurt at the beginning of the year and then yeah. starts to get his rhythm back. I think there is a big correlation with that because I do think when healthy, Dylan DeSue is probably one of the 10 best players, maybe one of the five best players in the Big 12. He's a really good guy. And, and I mean, that that is a good starting five when they're all healthy. Like, you're talking about, you know, Tyrese Hunter, Max A. Smith, that's kind of a, a nice little guard duo of, like, Hunter's more of the defensive guy, A. Smith is more of the offensive guy, uh, Dylan Mitchell's just this uber athlete, Dylan DeSue's really good, and then you kind of can mix and match how you want to play. Do you want to play with a, another big man with, like, Caden Shedrick? Do you want to, you know, use uh, – they, they've been using a lot of uh, – I forget the the, name, the kid's name. It's like Chadwick or something like that or, or whatever. Uh, good, like, defensive guard. Oh, they yeah. The Brock Cunningham kid. Like, they have some options of how they want to play. I, I do think they're a team that at this point in time is, is probably a little bit better than the record indicates. But that's, you know, that's, that's a big loss for TCU because that's the type of win you got to get if you want to maintain being a Big 12 title contender. And it continues to make you think that they're kind of in the category where they were the last two years where it's like they can beat like, anyone they're when they're playing well good but, enough but they just can't get those consistent wins and yeah that's they're honestly just, kind of what kansas has been this year on the road quite good enough but not good enough yeah to like to like make you think that they could really compete but not actually good enough to go right. out and and win if kansas didn't have the pedigree of what they are and what bill self was i mean i, I would be viewing them the same way i view tcu <laughs> to be completely honest but they still do have that pedigree so you give them the benefit of the doubt um ucf beats oklahoma at home by 11 points yeah I don't know if if they'll end up being an NCAA tournament team because at the end of the day, like somebody has to lose these games, and it's going to be tough for them to continue to. I mean, they're four and five in Big Twelve play. If they finish Sneaky eight and ten, decent. they can get there. Sneaky decent. I'll be honest. I think they're a good team. Like I, I think they're in my money. They're an NCAA tournament team that might not make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Because well, the to wins your point, might not the problem there. is if they go eight and ten, they're sitting at thirteen and eight right now. So if they go eight and ten, they're, they're going to have thirteen losses. Yeah. Before we even get to and the, then fourteen with the Big Twelve exactly before we even right. get to the tournament yeah it's just tough but like, I how I does think that like team get just, in if you just viewed it as like are they one of the best what forty teams because 
Obviously, there's the yeah, number there's of all the yeah, there's all automatic, the automatic qualifiers. Bird. Are they one of the best forty teams in the country? I kind of think they are. Mm, kind of in I that like know. 35, maybe. 40 range. May, uh, maybe I don't know. I, I mean, they are definitely a lot better than we obviously mm-hmm. we thought they would be, and certainly the media at large thought they would be because they were picked to finish last in the conference. Right. So uh, they're definitely a lot it's better. Just than athleticism, that. defense. Like, I, yeah. I've been impressed with that they've been able to bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, honestly, think about this, man. The 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 teams that have come to the Big Twelve. They've all been pretty good mm-hmm. to this point. I mean, BYU is a is a top ten net team. Uh, UCF, we just talked about, they might be a little bit better than we thought. Uh, Cincinnati is a tough team, you know, a tough gritty team that's that's going to be that's tough to beat most nights. And then obviously Houston, kind of we knew what to expect with the, with with them coming in. But yeah, man, the new Big Twelve teams they've been pretty impressive, actually, uh, pretty impressive. So yeah, and that's that's how I would classify Cincinnati too, right? Like yeah. That's another team who I think, uh, and them even more so than than UCF. Dan Skillings, by the way, he went off against Kansas. He's been kind of going off now in Big 12 play. Like, this might have been an emergence for him. Because <laughs> he was really good, and they won yeah. at Texas Tech. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that that proves that Texas Tech, first of all, is beatable at home. Which, obviously, KU's going to have to go and try to do that. But will they do it? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. And obviously, you know, again, like uh, Matt Tate was just talking about uh, when we just had him on, it's one thing for Texas Tech to play at home against Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when Kansas rolls into town, right? Yes. So it's a little bit of an extra juiced environment, obviously. Yes. I have been impressed, though, with Cincinnati, and, and to your point about, you know, I don't know, I almost feel like Cincinnati is one of those teams that is built to do better on the road because they are just so tough and they rebound well, and those are things that, that do kind of travel with yeah. them. So that was uh, very interesting. Now, as far as... Uh, Last night, it was the Kansas State-Kansas game, and I think from a Big 12 repercussions, it has a bigger impact with KU losing than K-State winning. K-State's perspective is probably more about can they build back up to being an NCAA tournament team, but tonight's going to be a a much bigger night all around the Big 12. Houston's playing Oklahoma State in Houston. Oklahoma State's coming off a loss, or Oklahoma State's coming off a win. Houston's coming off a loss. This feels like an ultimate get-right spot for me. Like Houston's going to yeah. beat them by like 400 points. The spread's <laughs> 21 and a half. Oklahoma State's going to score 40 points. The spread's 21 and a half. Yeah. Normally, I've, I've said before, like in a Big 12 game, if you give me like six or more points, like eight or more points, I'm just, it's an automatic bet. Not in this case. I'll probably be taking the Houston minus 21 and a half, in all honesty. Yeah. One thing I don't want to touch on, and this is just me venting a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Dude, West Virginia, I'm just, I'm just really, really mad. I'm, I'm pissed off. Okay. I'm mad. KU goes to West Virginia. West Virginia wins that game. Raekwon Battle has 24 points or whatever. goes off. West Virginia then follows that up by getting blasted at UCF, where Raekwon Battle scores like four points. They lose to Oklahoma State. Raekwon Battle scores two points. They did win. Uh, who did they beat? Or did they beat Oklahoma State? No, they, no, no, they, they lost, lost Oklahoma, State. Oklahoma State. They beat Cincinnati yeah. at home. Raekwon Battle scores 10 points. Then they lose to BYU, and Raekwon Battle did have finally a decent game at that point, 14 points. But in his next four games after the KU game, he has like three more points <laughs> than what he had in the one game against KU. Yeah. It just what sucks, happens? man. It just sucks. Hey, Dana so Ames, who was shooting 29% from the floor coming into last game. 23% from three. three and yeah. It's a, a, a two or two in the game. Yeah. So yeah, Oklahoma State-Houston, not as, as interesting just because that'll probably be a blowout. This one I think is very interesting, though. Iowa State at Texas. 
You know, a, a loss can quickly become, become two in the Big 12. Yeah. And for Iowa State, you lose that tough game at Baylor that very easily could have been a win if you have another point one, point two on the clock. Now you go on the road to Texas, a team who is playing better after they started, what was it, like one and three? They've won three of their last four games. Yeah. Um, or three of their last five. And you get a maybe Tyrese Hunter revenge game, so to speak. Does he get to have revenge? He's the one who transferred away. Whatever. Yeah, no, wouldn't it be Iowa State? Iowa State would have revenge. Either way, that that is a dangerous moment for Iowa State playing that road game. And it is an opportunity for Texas to further establish themselves that, like, even though the record we started slow, like, just from a pure talent perspective, we are one of the better teams in the Big 12. Yeah. Yeah, and listen, I don't know how much you buy into this, but, you know, if it comes down to Texas being on the bubble versus other teams that aren't maybe big-name, big-brand teams, tinfoil hat time, Texas gets in. I mean, I, I can see where you're going. I, I don't think that would be the case. I think if it does happen, it would more so be, hey, Dylan DeSue was injured earlier. Now, since he's come back, they're a better team. Sure. And, like, this is who they are now. No, that's fine. I mean, that's totally logical. But it's not the fun approach. Yeah. The BYU fun approach is tinfoil. Is at Oklahoma. This is one of the rare ones where I don't really care about the home court. One, between because OU probably has, like, a bottom two or three home court environment in the Big 12. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Especially if they're playing BYU. I, I don't know that that's going to be some huge <laughs> selling point. Two, BYU does feel like one of those teams to me that like I, I care less about the home road thing with them because not that they don't have a, a tough home court environment. They do. They are so reliant on the three ball that it's not going to really matter as much whether they're home or road. Now, maybe you could make the argument that they're used to shooting at home and that the three-point splits, like you're going to shoot better at home because you're used to shooting in that gym. And I could understand that. But because they are so reliant on the three, it's less about did you play them at home or road. It's more about did they make or miss all their threes. Yeah, I I mean, when it when you're a team like that, and we talk we talked about with Kansas, like Kansas obviously has been is the opposite in terms of their three point shooting. But yeah, BYU, you're right. When when you play that style, it is more conducive to you're just making or missing shots, and it's less about the energy of the crowd, mm -hmm. right? Now, obviously, I think that still does affect when you're shooting threes, but, but yeah, I'm actually I'm excited to see BYU play Kansas just because I, I think it will be an interesting matchup, uh, and they are an interesting team because again, the metrics love them because they played a terrible non-conference schedule and they beat a bunch of bad teams. Awesome. Yeah, they beat a bunch of bad teams, and so the you know the metrics think that they're they're good. Nick Palm has them a little rated lower than that, but you know we'll see, I guess. Uh, but yeah, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is such an interesting team also because, you know, I don't know if we talked about this too much, but, you know, Porter Moser coming into the season was maybe kind of coaching for his job a little bit, right? Like, if Oklahoma had a disappointing season, I don't know that he would have stuck around or he would have stayed around. They come out really hot, and they end up being a top-10 team, which I think it's been shown that they're definitely not a top-10 team. But they look like a pretty solid team. And, you know, we talk about the Big 12, and a lot of times it'll the discussion with the Big 12 is, well, you know, You'll have a team like TCU or whatever that feels like a top 25 team, but they end up getting like a 7 seed or 8 seed because of the losses. Oklahoma, I don't know. Depending on what seed they get in the NCAA tournament, it might be a situation where I feel like they might be seeded too high. Like, I don't, you know, I mean, they've racked up some good wins, but I don't know. Like, is Oklahoma a 5 seed? I don't, I don't know. I don't think no. so. Like, 6 seed? I don't know. So, that's a big game for them, obviously, at home. But then, I think certainly the biggest one tonight has got to be Baylor-Texas Tech, right? Sure. Top 25 showdown. It's the only one where both teams are ranked in the top 25. For Tech, you're, you're trying to bounce back after a home loss. For Baylor, yeah. 
you're trying to carry momentum from the Iowa State win because all, all of a sudden, if you're Baylor, you win your next two games with beating Iowa State the game before, then beating top 25 Tech, then you go on the, the road now in Fieldhouse and win that. Yeah. Seven and three, you're feeling like you're going to win a Big 12 title. Yeah, you know? for sure. And it can easily flip so easily, and, and this can easily flip to a point where Texas Tech was, what, 5-1 and one in Big 12 play, and now you lose yeah. three straight games. How quickly things can drop off. Yeah, that, that they is the, the most important game. Are they the 2024 game. Iowa State? They might be. They might be. Where it's like they still had a surprisingly good year. They'll, they'll probably make the NCAA tournament early in the conference play. They were like, oh, they could be, you know, a dark horse. I, mean, I think Grant McCaslin is a really good coach. I do too. So uh, I have a lot of respect for him. But, but, yeah, to your point, I mean, Baylor, right. This, is, this suddenly becomes kind of – a stretch for Baylor where they could feel like they're in the driver's seat potentially if mm-hmm. they're able to win win these games coming up at home against Texas Tech tonight and then coming to to Lawrence to take on Kansas so they they probably feel like they're in a, uh, in a decent spot uh, so we'll we'll see how that plays out really uh, with them tonight against Texas Tech by the way do, do they still is it still Super Tuesday that's do they still call it that I don't know or do they change it Big Monday Super Tuesday what was yeah. Wednesday well remember, remember they had the I think. What's the is the Sonic Blockbuster? Was that yeah. Wednesdays or was that just random? That was just whatever. I don't remember. Oh, okay. Wild Wednesday. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll talk about whatever happens in the Big Twelve on tomorrow's show with uh, all that loaded slate of games coming up tonight. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Kevin Flaherty joins us in less than 20 minutes. Little Chief Super Bowl talk next. Welcome back into RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get to some KU basketball takeaways coming up in the 5 o'clock hour and also some KU basketball audio. We have Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider after the show tonight from 6 to 7 o'clock. We're joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Kevin, uh, thanks for hopping on today. Kansas struggles again on the road. Lose another one at Kansas State. And, you know, one of the, I don't know, Pillars, I guess, of some of their road struggles has been three-point defense, uh, whether it's luck, whether it's just doing something poorly, whether it's a combination of the two. You look to Tyler Perry and Cam Carter going 7 of 17. That's 41%. Collectively, they came in shooting 32% from three. We obviously know the Iowa State game, the West Virginia game with some of those road three-point struggles. How do you evaluate uh, three-point defense and, and where Kansas is kind of right now? Well, you know, it's kind of funny because statistics basically say that three-point defense is fake. It doesn't, it doesn't really exist. The team is going to shoot what it shoots kind of regardless of what you do. And I've never really 100% bought into that. I think, you know, there's a difference. Yes, you can play a guy like Tennyson at TCU, you know, really well, and he can still make a shot because he's a really good three-point shooter. But also there are guys that when you look at you know, Malik Renew, for instance, hitting hitting the threes that he did against Kansas when KU played at Indiana. You know, he's a guy that, that has a fairly decent stroke and probably takes three-pointers at practice. And if you let him step into something in rhythm, he may not be a great three-point shooter, but if you let him be comfortable out there, he's somebody that can, that can hit those shots. And I, I think... It's a combination of different things. I don't think Kansas defends the arc super well. I did think Kansas State executed some looks really well to get uh, some nice shots from from behind the arc, you know, when they were hitting them sort of late in the game. But I, I also think there are some instances where Kansas has gotten burned where they've said, okay, we're going to 
defend these guys five on four uh, and basically leave this guy alone, and that guy has hurt him. And sometimes when you have a, a guy who's a college basketball player and he's able to just step into in-rhythm three-pointers, he, he's going to make a few of them. Well, this is, uh, I guess, uh, epidemic, if, I, if I'm going to use a, <laughs> a, a big kid's word, uh, across college basketball and across the Big 12 right now, the alarming rate of teams losing on the road, and not just losing on the road, but losing on the road, by ranked teams to unranked teams and top 10 teams to unranked teams. What do you think the symptoms are? Why, why is this happening so often this year? You know, it's easy to say parity, and I think that that's certainly part of it. I also think some of it's scheduling. You know, when you're North Carolina and you have Duke coming up and you know that you have Duke coming up and you go to play at Georgia Tech, which is – a team that also, you know, somewhat ironically, I guess, upset Duke at Georgia Tech earlier in the year. It's easy to see that game as a trap game, even though you're going on the road, it's a hostile environment, and you're getting the very best shot from that unranked team, right? Like, if you're a ranked team, especially a top 10 team, and that's to say nothing of of being a blue blood or or a rival in some of these cases – and you head into those situations, if you're bringing 80% effort, if you're, I think Bill Self, the way he said it was, we weren't quite tuned up as much against Kansas State as they were against Houston. If you're not all the way there, it's a situation where you can get burned. And I also think, too, we're seeing some close games in in these contests. And I know we've talked about it on the show before, and it's a pretty commonly used expression is, the best way to win close games is to not play close games. And when you play close games, you know, weird things can happen. And I think when you look at the Kansas State game in particular, that was one of those games where weird things happened, right? There were a couple, you know, calls that were kind of questionable. I, I didn't love the cylinder call. I certainly didn't love, you know, the ball being quote unquote off Dewan Harris when when K-State basically just threw it out of bounds and it never it never touched him. Certainly, you look at, you know, Bill Self's complaint at the end of the game was that Kansas State committed lane violations on the free throws. And then you look at, you know, one of the rims, uh, I swear, was, was positively haunted. You know, Kansas <laughs> had about five shots that, that felt like they were halfway down and, and didn't go down. And you look at the fact that, you know, you had a tip in where I think maybe Hunter Dickinson tipped the ball in. Maybe Tyler Perry got enough of it to get it up there. But it's just one of those things that when you play in a one-possession game like that, so many fluky things can happen. And in some of these cases, you're getting these these tight games, and those fluky plays are, are going the way of the home team, whether it's the ref making a call that – that benefits the the home team or or whether it's just a play here and there where, you know, a hustle play goes one way or or a 50-50 ball goes another way. I I think that's that's been a big part of the reason for these losses because you look at what the – was it the West Virginia game that that Kansas led with about three minutes left by a point or something like that? UCF, I think they were tied right about that same spot. If you're in those situations, you know, you can do a lot of things right, but that doesn't mean you're going to get out of there with a win if the ball just doesn't bounce your way. Do you think this is uh, the new college basketball? Like, like, could you see this being pretty permanent that, 
year in, year out, we are going to have this much parity? Or do you think this is more of a product of uh, or something that, that may be more you know near term that uh, we'll have one of those years with three or four or five dominant teams again w- within the next handful of years? You know, it's tough to tell. And the reason it's tough to tell is the COVID year, right? Because you have you're going to have the transfer portal and, you know, the NCAA is, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to kind of do what they tried to do to start this year, which is, you know, if you're transferring for a second time, you know, maybe you don't get immediate eligibility or if everybody's going to have immediate eligibility. But the other thing that throws a monkey wrench into all of this is that COVID year. And when you add in that extra season, when you add in the fact that, some teams, you know, were able to go into the portal and land guys, you know, who shouldn't still be playing college basketball, basically. I think that's part of it. And so I do think that there's a, there's a chance that some of that could change once we, once we get out of sort of that COVID period where at least things are a little bit more normal from that standpoint. I mean, from a football standpoint, guys, isn't it so brutal right now? to tell just how many years a guy has left. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy because you, you look at it and you say, well, theoretically, I think this guy should be finishing up, but there's a COVID year, there's a medical redshirt year, and next thing you know, you know, you have guys like Casey Thompson that you know started playing under George H.W. Bush that are still in college <laughs> football. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that that definitely could be part of it, and uh, I, I think I saw like some player got like an eighth year of eligibility. I don't know, yeah, all, all sorts of weird stuff. Um, when you look at the Big Twelve right now, I, I think Houston, obviously, they're the betting favorite right now, and even though uh, they're tied in the loss column after the Kansas loss with some of these other teams, I, I think you would agree they're still the favorite to win the Big Twelve at, at this point in time. If you had to pick a different team. Uh, if, if I, I guess, told you at the end of the year it's going to be a shared title, Houston would share it with somebody else. What team at this point would you expect that to be? Ooh, that's a tough one. Because I think a part of the reason that Houston is that favorite is the fact that, you know, a lot of their road tests have already come, right? They've already been to Ames. They've already been to Lawrence. And, and so when you, when you look at, at some of those games, you can say, okay, Houston, you know, has gotten past a lot of the tough parts of that schedule. And so if somebody were to share it, you know, I, I realize this is going to sound strange in the wake of, of last night's game, but it, it might be Kansas just because Kansas might be the team that you look at that you say there's enough gap between where they are now and potentially where they could be in late February, early March to where if there's a game between the two, like there is now in the loss column with Houston being, you know, having three losses, Kansas having four losses, if there's a game between the two, there's a scenario there where Kansas, I think, matches up well with Houston because of the ball movement and a lot of the things that you saw happen at Allen Fieldhouse. And if Kansas catches its stride, I think Kansas is sort of the one team that you look at and say there's at least a scenario here where Kansas goes down to Houston last day of the season, steals a win back, you know, on the other team's home court. And so I would probably say Kansas, but I, I see why Houston is the betting favorite. It, uh, I think that they have a, a pretty solid road for them right now. Would this be the same answer then? What about team outside of Houston that you think is most likely to make it to an Elite Eight? Oh, 
That that's that's a tough one too, actually, because as much as I would love to say Kansas there, I think the big flaw with Kansas right now is you don't trust this team to stack together three wins like that, do you? And, and you know, especially when you're talking about, and I realize you know Bill Self has said, and we've talked about it on this show, the fact that depth isn't as important in the NCAA tournament because of the length of the TV timeouts, the longer halftime, you can get away with playing guys more minutes in the tournament and not having to play nine or ten guys. But you still have to play two games in three days. And I think that's where maybe the challenge is going to lie is in that second-round game for for Kansas. It's not necessarily going to be the first-round game. Kansas has been really, really good in odd-numbered rounds under Bill Self, and you give them a week to prepare for somebody I think you'd feel pretty good in the Sweet 16, but that round of 32 game, provided it's it's the type of matchup you don't want to see, you know that that could be where where Kansas gets sent home. I, I think Texas Tech still I think has um, has the type of team that could make an Elite Eight. You know they were a team that I don't know how well reported it was. It, it sounded like pretty much the entire team had Ebola last week, and so. You know that was that was something that that kind of slowed them down and led to them, you know, losing a uh, losing a home game for for the first time in a while. And I think when you look at at Iowa State, if the young pieces get to firing together, you know, they've got a they've got a pretty good backcourt. Potentially, they could get their TCU same thing. But I, I think it might be Kansas. But I also think that it's really tough to make that bet right now with how inconsistent Kansas has been from a game-in, game-out standpoint. Yeah, and I think the uh, lack of depth, I I guess it kind of goes two ways. Like, when you look across the country and and teams who have won titles, a lot of them are, you know, lower in in the minute-per-game numbers for for what the bench is doing, um, to where I do think there is something to be said about having a rotation that is a bunch of guys that you trust. But with Kansas, there's not really anyone that they're trusting off the bench. I guess Parker Brown for a very specific role. Um, and I, I guess I see it two ways. On one hand, maybe they're better for the NCAA tournament than the regular season because of the lack of bench. And maybe, you know, when, when you have the longer TV timeouts and everything, maybe that means, and, and there's more on the line, maybe that means they're better suited for that. But then again, if if we use, I guess, last night's game as, as a little bit of evidence and, and something of a bit of an example. Like I, I thought there were moments during that game where KU looked a little bit tired and maybe the the rebounding battle favoring K-State after KU just did a good job on the glass against Houston was a little indicative that maybe they were a little bit tired. And, and that has to be scary if that's your second game in three days. Well, guess what? A second round matchup is your second game in three days. An Elite Eight game is a second matchup in, in three days. So how do you kind of balance what you think this team is in the regular season versus the NCAA tournament? Is there anything that you think could be better or worse for them in, in that type of setting? Yeah, I think, they're, I think they're better equipped to play in that situation, like you were saying. But I also think that while self's point is an apt one, I do think that it's almost impossible to get away with having no bench, right? Like I think you need to have six guys. You need to have a seventh guy that you can uh, that you can really trust and, and and put in there. Not and not even just from a rotational standpoint, but if Hunter Dickinson gets into foul trouble, if you know what happens if Dewan Harris gets into foul trouble and all of a sudden, you know, you're, 
you're trying to have somebody run the team. I, I thought one of the positives from last night, I thought Dewan Harris played really kind of a beautiful point guard uh, last night and and did a lot of things right. That was about as well as he's played, I, I think, in a long time. But if Dewan Harris picks up two quick fouls and he has to go to the bench, you know, how, how do you feel about those other options and who's running the offense and all of those different things? I, I think – that's where things become interesting. It's not that they need El Marco Jackson to, to play like a McDonald's All-American, but it could be the sort of thing that, hey, in a second-round matchup, maybe Nick Timberlake is going to get a couple open shots, and if he makes those, you move on, and if he doesn't, maybe you aren't moving on. And so I think that having the depth to where you can survive either an injury or foul trouble I think it is something that they're going to need to continue to develop in order to, to feel good about them. But overall, I do think they're better equipped to deal with the NCAA tournament than they are maybe sort of the slog of Big 12 play. If you had to pick a all-Big 12 first team, because we're basically at the halfway point, Kansas, Kansas State just played their 10th games. A lot of teams are sitting on nine games halfway through. If you had to pick that all-Big 12 first team through halfway uh, of conference play, what would you go with right now? It's really tough because I think you might wind up going with two Kansas players and two Houston players like we've talked about. I mean, it's so hard to separate Jamal Shedd from LJ Cryer. And if you had to, I would take Shedd. But I think it is tough to separate them. And then with Kansas, even though you know, you've really seen Kevin McCuller struggle from the field of late, I do think that at this point you would have him – on your all big 12 team for, for all the different things that he does. Hunter Dickinson is the best center in the league and does so many different things. And then, you know, maybe Taman Lipsy. I think there are other guys that you could certainly entertain in those conversations. I think JV and McCollum has been really good. I think you can go across the conference and, and find guys that, that can kind of fill those spots. But I think that, that would probably be my five, uh, my five right now, and it's it's tough because there aren't you know Houston and Kansas aren't head and shoulders better than the rest of the conference, but if you look at the fact that they're both of those teams are up near the top of the conference, and both of them have multiple players who kind of merit being in that discussion, then then you can kind of look that way a little bit more, I think. Talking with Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. Who is your local prospect of the week? Uh, yeah, I think that um, one, of the, uh, one of the interesting things tomorrow is going to be, since tomorrow is National Signing Day, right, is the fact that schools aren't really going to announce guys that, that they've signed because for the most part their classes are in. I don't expect... Kansas to add a, a scholarship high school player tomorrow. And so, you know, they're going to add some walk-ons to the fold. One of the guys that, you know, I really liked uh, that, that I had a chance to to see a little bit was Donald Collier. He's a wide receiver from Trinity Academy. You know, he's a, he's a really good route runner. He's the type of guy <laughs> that when you watch him in high school, you can say, okay, maybe he wouldn't be KU's absolute first-choice wide receiver in this class. And, and, of course, they wound up recruiting Nick Marsh, who was a four-star guy and wound up going to Michigan State. But I think when you watch Collier play and you watch the way he plucks the ball, you watch a lot of the things that he does, 
He's somebody that without a lot of imagination, you could say it would not surprise me to see this guy get on the field at some point during his Kansas career. You know, And Kansas has had some success with walk-on wide receivers pushing their way onto the field. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Collier winds up being sort of the next one of those guys. And, and he's somebody that... Uh, as a preferred walk-on, has committed to Kansas at this point, and he, uh, I think that he has a chance to has a chance to stick around and actually see the field if things go right for him. He is Kevin Flaherty, twenty four seven Sports. Thank you for the time, Kevin. Uh, I enjoyed catching up with you, and uh, I'll certainly miss having these conversations with you as this is my uh, final week with the show and everything. But I appreciate you being so kind with your time, and uh, thank you again, and have a good rest of your week. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Miss you, Derek. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. KU Basketball Takeaways, next. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, 5 o'clock hour with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get to some uh, KU player audio coming up in our next segment of the show. Kansas drops another road game there now, 1-4 and four on the road as they fall in overtime, 75-70 to 70 at Kansas State. Womp womp. Yeah, certainly some weird stats from this game between Jerome Tang now being 11-0 and 0 in overtime, yeah, so 6-0 and 0 this year. Yeah. Uh, Dewan Harris, only the second time he's lost in a game where he scores double-digit points. And both of them are, are pretty brutal with Arkansas yeah, on the tournament exactly. and now this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, we're going to get to our KU basketball takeaways for the game. Let's start with our biggest positive. I know it's hard uh, to look at this type of game <laughs> with, with positive goggles. We're going to try our best. Uh, what's the biggest positive from the game? Yeah, well, I think you kind of touched on it already. It's got to be Dewan Harris, right? I mean, he, he looked in control. He played pretty well, 15 points, hit a three, uh, made some nice uh, layups as well at the rim. Uh, I think his defense was pretty good. I mean, this was probably his best game of Big 12 play, I would think. Uh, and then even beyond that, I mean, the Kentucky game is going to be tough for him to top, I think, really the rest of the season. But outside of the Kentucky game, this may have been his best game that he's played really this season. Uh, he, he looked he looked pretty good out there. So I think he was probably one of the biggest positives for me of this game is just watching him be able to, to kind of command the floor and, and do a pretty good job. The bad news was, you know, nobody else, nobody was really making any other shots, so it, that hurt KU. But yeah, I think I think Dewan Harris had a good game, you know. And 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 again, I've talked about it. Like, if you want to put Dewan Harris under the microscope when KU loses and he plays poorly, I think even in a loss like this, you should ha- you should be able to step back and recognize, hey, you know, Dewan Harris played a, played a better game, played a good game. Yes, and I hundred percent agree with that. Uh, for me, best. Big Twelve game, uh, maybe the best game since Kentucky. I don't know, but yeah, honestly, I think that I guess it depends on on how you maybe view like the Houston game specifically. But over these last what like four games, I feel like he's we've walked away in at least like three of them being like he's he's played like he's last figured it out. One. He's, yeah, he's, he's played like right. So I, I think that makes you feel good about where that's at moving forward. Um, honestly, you might even be able to say Hunter Dickinson a little bit. I know he had a couple shots that like. That, okay, so so I I saw some he had a number of shots where it was like where it was like how did like that yeah where it was like how out, did right? that miss it felt like there were two of those from the block that I remember and then both three of his threes well. yeah. both of his threes were like halfway down they popped out I know yeah, some people had, are like why does he keep shooting threes he's one of his last seventeen okay but he was like shooting sixty percent at the beginning <laughs> of the year we know he can hit those threes and clearly the shot was not that far off he's got to keep shooting them because Kansas does not make a lot of threes they need him to make threes so yeah, uh, sure. I thought he actually played a good game and and that was uh, I think one. 
positive from the game that you could kind of take away. What about the turnovers, right? You you come yeah. off the Houston game in which you have 18 turnovers, a lot of them unforced. You drop that down to nine. You cut it in half. And then on the other side, you only force three turnovers in the last game against Houston. You bring that number up to 16 uh, against Kansas State. And, and if Kansas would have found a way to win that game, I, I think we'd be talking today that – that was one of the big reasons why, that you didn't have a great offensive game, you didn't have a great shooting game and, and some of that stuff, but you were able to find a way to you know force the, uh, the turnovers and get some of the steals that you weren't yeah. able to get last game. Yeah, when KU pressed late in the game, Kansas State really, they really struggled with it, and it almost made me wonder if KU shouldn't have tried to press earlier in the yeah. game. But of course, the risk of doing that is the fact that that's going to wear on your team even more, and you're already talking about a team that doesn't have a lot of depth, coming off of a game on Saturday, plus this game went to overtime, and I don't know, maybe the legs weren't totally there for those guys to be able to fully execute that, but but uh, yeah, the press, did, the press did work well when KU used it, and it got them a turnover when they needed it late in the game, but uh, yeah, it just wasn't enough, and and yeah, I mean, with the turnovers, it is, a, it is a positive when you look at the raw numbers, but also, I don't know that, I don't think that KU did enough off of those turnovers, to be honest. I think that was kind of where they probably could have done a little bit better, but. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair that, um, you know, you, you look at it and maybe some of the turnovers were in in moments where you really needed to avoid one, like they came at, at tough moments. But yeah. it was 21-8 to eight in points off turnovers, oddly enough. So, I don't know. I, I think that was a, a positive overall for KU. Uh, okay, what about the biggest negatives? Uh, because oh, there could be a good amount here. <laughs> I will say, oh, wait, I, I do have one other positive. Sure. Big picture, um, it's crazy because Kansas is still only one back in the loss column for the Big 12. Yeah. And everybody's losing on the road, and I guess this is, a, again, this is more of a, a big-picture thing. This year has just been absolutely bananas and wild, um, and yeah, apparently and this, this is uh, from Opta Stats. After Kansas State's win over number 4 Kansas, there have now been 26 wins this year by unranked teams over AP Top 10 opponents in the last 31 days. That's the most such wins over any 31-day span since the poll expanded to 25 teams in 1989 to 1990. Now, Kansas, uh, what, they have three or four of those alone? <laughs> but that shows that this is happening to everyone, and it's, like, impossible yeah. to win on the road right now. Yeah, and in the Big 12 specifically, you know, Bill Self always used to say, well, go 50-50 on the road, and, you know, which would be 5-4, and 4-5, four, four and five, At this right? point, can you get to 3-6? and six? Exactly. Like, in, in this year's, in this iteration of the Big 12, if you're able to go 9-0 and at home— which at Allen Fieldhouse you feel like you have a decent chance of doing it at least, and even if it is only three and six on the road, that still might be good enough mm -hmm. if other teams lose on the road like the way Kansas has struggled on the road. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's kind of like a silver. I don't know that you necessarily put that on the positive category so much as like the silver lining category. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Okay, sorry. Negatives though. All right. So one of the negatives. Yeah. So I, I need to. I, unfortunately, I have to kind of take the L on this one. Kevin McCuller in this game, especially late, uh, just really, really collapsed and really, really struggled. Had a couple of really, really bad turnovers uh, and just could not hit a shot. And, and I had given him a lot of praise earlier in the season because, to me at least, I had kind of felt, okay, KU seems to have found their clutch guy, their go-to guy, because he had been very clutch in a lot of other games previously and had been kind of that guy, but... For whatever reason, man, it just wasn't there for him in this game, and he really struggled, and it really, really hurt KU. You know, he has two big turnovers late in the game. He has the one where he steps out of bounds, which, okay. I, they, you know, they didn't spend a whole lot of time reviewing that. 
No, they the didn't. ankles I looked his, like it was pretty close yeah, to me. I thought his heel was above the line. That's kind of what I thought too. I was too, very but... surprised when they said confirmed. Yeah, like, yeah. I could have understood. Okay, they don't have the camera angle. Uh, Calling the court stands. I yeah, I don't know. Man. It didn't. They didn't look very long. And yeah, I I was a little questionable on that one uh, about how the just. I thought they would have spent more time on it because to your point, I think it definitely looked pretty close. But uh, I guess evidently not. On that one. And then the other one was he's kind of dribbling on the left wing and just loses it, and Kaluma gets it, and it's just a disaster. So really, really tough game for Kevin overall, but it's certainly late. you know. And then on top of that, he goes 1-5 of five from the line in the game. This is at the front end of a critical moment late in the game as well. So just a really, really tough game overall uh, for him. And, you know, it, it seems as though it wasn't really injury-related, right? Like he seemed to be moving fine. He didn't seem to have too much problems uh, in terms of uh, his knee. And he ended up, you know, playing almost 40 minutes or over 40 minutes in the game, 43 minutes in the game. So clearly he was not inhibited physically, I don't think. But uh, just, a, just a really, really rough game for him. Yeah, that, that was certainly tough. I mean, the one of five on free throws, you miss the front end of the opportunity. If you make both, you tie the game. At least if you hit one, um, then maybe you foul and, and it's a three-point game. It's a one-possession game, and, and then you have a chance to, to maybe hit a three to you know tie the game at that point. He missed the two free throws earlier, too. Uh, he had the missed layup. That, that I mean, just yeah, with the left all hand. of it really adds up. I, I think that was Kevin's worst game of the season, and it came in a, a very difficult moment. And yeah, and, he, and he had, he's actually had some games where he was worse from the, from the field mm-hmm. than he was in this game. But it was, again, it was the, you know, there's been games where he's been worse from the field, but he was good from the free throw line or good in clutch moments, yeah. and that just wasn't the case in this game. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of what, when you're playing on the road, especially in the Big 12, like you need those guys to kind of step up there. So um, that was certainly tough to see. Um, I mean, Johnny Furphy, uh, that was maybe, see, it's, it's hard for me to be like, it was that, but I don't know. I was never under the impression, and I continued to pump the brakes on Johnny Furphy going to the NBA, all this conversation, <laughs> right? And maybe it'll still happen, all that stuff, but... He's still freshman. There were bound to be freshman moments. So on one hand, I'm like, okay, that's not like that surprising. And like, this was bound to happen at some point. He wasn't going to put up 15 each and every game. Otherwise, I I don't know. It it was just kind of bound to happen. So like, I understand that. But still, that was kind of a negative to be like, okay, this guy isn't going to be impenetrable each and every game. And you still are relying on a freshman a little bit. And it was a reminder that, hey, there still are flaws in his game. Like he, as much as he has been scoring a lot of points, He's not somebody who's creating his own shot. You know what I mean? Like, he's not ISOing up or, or driving to the rim or anything like that. Like, he, he does have some struggles defensively, so I think that was certainly up there for KU. I think the rebounding was yeah. certainly up there, right? Yeah, rebounding I mean, you, was a big issue. Yeah, you get out-rebounded. Um, they get nine offensive rebounds. You had seven. If, you, if you're looking at, like, rates, so their, uh, their defensive rebound percentage, they grabbed 83% of the defensive rebounds, which means you only had a 17% offensive rebound rate. Meanwhile, you grabbed about 74% of the defensive rebounds. They had about a 26% offensive rebound rate. So they kind of worked you a little bit on the boards, and it felt like there were a couple key moments in the game, too, yeah. where those those rebounds kind of came into fruition. That would certainly go up there after you did a really good job on the glass against Houston. And that's, that's the weirdest part of all this. Like, when we talk about KU playing down to their competition or in other games, like when you play Houston or UConn, playing up to their competition, it feels like, to me, maybe the one thing that is, is most prevalent when they play down versus playing up is the rebounding like when they're yeah. playing lesser teams 
the rebounding has been bad. When they're playing better teams, the rebounding has been good. Does that just go into focus? Does that just go into because you're playing a better team, you're more focused and have more energy to rebound? And in some of these games against lesser opponents, you're like, ah, it'll be fine. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then kind of an extension of your point on Johnny Furphy. I think the biggest area is the, is the three-point shooting with Furphy, right? He goes 0-4 from three in the game. And, you know, listen, against Houston, KU shoots 6 of 13 from three, right? Against Kansas State, 3 of 15. So when you are going to be a low, a lower-volume three-point shooting team if you're Kansas, in this era of college basketball, in this year of college basketball, and you, it, the, the, the margin for error, the margin for, for success versus failure is very, very thin, Right. You look at six of thirteen from three, and you're thinking, "Wow, that's a great that's a great night for Kansas from the three point line." Then you go to three of fifteen, and it's like, "Oh gosh, that's a horrible night!" Right? The margin is so so thin there between success and failure from the three point line, and 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 in a game, if Johnny Furphy's not hitting threes and making a defense pay for over rotating to help on or double Hunter Dickinson or whatever, then suddenly that aspect of the offense becomes zapped. Right? It just doesn't work anymore. And that was the big negative for me, and it's and it's so tough because when you are such a low volume team, the way Kansas clearly is now, right? I think they're just under 16 threes per game overall for the season. When you're a low volume three point shooting team, if they are not falling at a decent rate, that can be really really be destructive to how you're trying to run your offense. And this was a game where we saw that, right? I mean, and it's and it's frustrating, right? Because even if one of Furphy's threes go down, and maybe one of those threes from Hunter that rolled around and rolled out goes down. A, KU probably wins the game, and B, you're saying, wow, good, you know, a, a good night from the three-point line, right? Mm-hmm. If they go, if they're five of fifteen instead of three of fifteen, you're thinking that's a little bit better. That's just because of the low volume and it's and the margin for error is so thin. So that was another big takeaway. On I guess on the negative side is that for Kansas, if they're going to continue to play this way and continue to be a lower volume team from three, if the efficiency is not there consistently. You're going to have games like this where you're just, where it's just it's just the offense is going to feel totally different all because you couldn't make one or two or three extra threes. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly you're playing on a fine line there and you compare it to I mean Kansas State is a team I, I don't even want to compare it to Kansas State as a team who went 9 of 26 from 3. Just look at their two guys, Tyler Perry and Cam Carter. We t- we talked about this coming in. Don't let one or both of them get hot. Well, guess what? The two of them combined for 7 of 17 <laughs> yeah. from 3. Tyler Perry got hot. That's 41% from 3 between the two of them. They more than doubled just those two guys what you made from three. So, yes, that would uh, be a big negative. And, and that's another part of it, too, is the three-point defense. Because, you know, uh, we, we continue to have to have these conversations about three-point defense versus luck on three-point defense. And uh, I continue to believe that it's a little bit of A, it's a little bit of B, right? It's, it's a little bit of both. Like, you, you leave Cam Carter wide open a couple times. You go under on a screen on Tyler Perry when you shouldn't. Like, yes, that is going to be bad news. But then there's still a couple other times where – you know, Tyler Perry just hits this ridiculous shot, or Cam Carter hits a contested three. It is a yeah. little bit of both. The idea, though, is that try to eliminate the first part of those so that, you know, it, it, there's even less of, of one part of those and that it would just be the luck thing. But the more this does go on, the more you start to be like, Kansas is doing something wrong, right? Could be. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Uh, very, very interesting there. All right, biggest neutral of the game. Man, honestly... There's not a lot of neutrals to be had here. This was a th- this was the game where it was either going to be probably all positive or all negative, and unfortunately, <laughs> it's all negative because because KU couldn't get the win. But is it that KU is still? Yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest title neutral, race technically. I guess the biggest neutral is like, kind of like we talked about. You know, you beat Houston, you take two steps forward, but this loss feels like you took one or even one and a half steps back. So I guess like the over. I guess the weekend is the biggest neutral. Like 
Like, you come out of it feeling pretty neutral, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's tough because, you you know, you look at, like, I mean, I, I you, you look at some areas where the, if you wanted to just, if you were just box score watching, like, points in the paint was pretty neutral. Yeah, 38-30. But that feels like a negative from Kansas' perspective, right? Because they've been so dominant there. So, and you look at the field goal percentage, K was 41%, and guess what? Kansas State was just over 41%. So, okay, is that neutral? Well, not really, because for KU, you expect to be better than that. So, a lot of the areas where this it was neutral, it feels like a negative. Yeah. By the way, for, for uh, negative, I, I feel like we could have added bench in there, but that, that one seems kind of obvious. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, we've talked ad nauseum, obviously, about the bench. And, right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do think uh, neutral, too. I, I mentioned this in the open as well, but I'll just reiterate it. If if w- I compared that that win over Houston on Saturday to the win two years ago over Baylor where you blew out a really good team who ended up being a one seed and um, kind of showed what you could do after, I don't know, some, some shaky moments or questions that you had about the team in January, the very next game that team did lose on a big Monday. They had a quick turnaround, big Monday on the road. They played at Texas and they lost in a weird game. I think that was a game that, like, Trey Mitchell, when he was on Texas, like, banked in a three, and then he was, like, kicked off the team after that or something like that. And obviously there are some differences here, but, like, I would equate that Tyler Perry, I don't know, maybe even not even that one. The, uh, that was just an unbelievable skill play by him. The one that, like, tipped in for them, where it, like, hit off of yeah, where it was like 2K Hunter players Dickinson. and maybe Perry or something. Yeah, and then Dickin- yeah, Dickinson was there and Perry. Yeah, yeah, where it, like, tipped in. So you had weird things happen, and you lost a close Big 12 road game on a quick turnaround on Big Monday. Yeah, and the the issue is is you're going to have that exactly what you had this weekend. You're going to have yeah. it again this upcoming weekend. You're going to have Baylor on Saturday and then Texas Tech on Big right. Monday on Monday. But that happened, you know, two years ago in that same comp, and uh, that one ended up being okay from there. But, you know, I, I don't know. I I don't know. It's it's a little bit different because now you've lost four, four uh, road games, and, and that team had only lost yeah. two Big 12 games at that point when they lost that, that Monday game to Texas. Yeah. Uh, do we have a play of the game? I mean – KJ Adams dunked, KJ dunked. sent it to OT. Yeah. Which, by the way, that, that was hilarious. Hilariously bad defense from K-State. I don't even know what they were doing. I don't know. Worked out for KU, that's for sure. Um, I, I don't know. Like, Dewan Harris had a couple plays where he poked the ball free from K-State and it led to maybe a run out or something. In yeah, there was the steal they had in uh, on the press late, but I think they ended up missing the shot on that, actually. So Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, honestly, if you're picking a play that defined the game, it would probably be the Tyler Perry, yeah, like the up and under, the up falling. and under as the shot clock yeah. was expiring. Yep, it was a in one overtime. Point game. Yeah, one point. K was up by one, and they Perry hits that shot, and then he comes down and hits a three right after, and it's mm-hmm. a four point game. And the game's basically done. Yep, for sure. All right, that's our KU basketball takeaways. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get some KU basketball audio coming up on the other side. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter, rcst1320am at gmail.com. That's rcst1320am at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.